Rabbi Akiva lived probably one of the most amazing lives in history. He grew up as a shepherd in the first and second century under the oppressive Roman rule of Judea. And he was so poor and isolated that he never learned how to read. He married the daughter of his wealthy boss who gave up her inheritance to be with him. The story of his wife, Rachel, is an amazing story in its own right. I wish we had time for both. Well, Rabbi Akiva, at the age of 40, as his son was starting kindergarten, decided that he would also learn how to read, starting with the basics of the Aleph Bet and progressing little by little until after decades of study, he ended up becoming perhaps the greatest scholar of Judaism ever to live. It's said that even Moses was foretold of Akiva's wisdom and was in awe of his insight. Akiva accumulated 24,000 students who followed his teachings and he achieved incredible wealth and status. His students followed his teachings, shall we say, religiously. That is, until the period of the Omer, that period between Passover and Shavuot. We are, in fact, in that very time of our festival calendar right now. It consists of a week of weeks, which is to say seven weeks, or 49 days, during which we count each day and each week, and we reflect on a different guiding value each week. Those of you studying Musar with me on Saturdays should recognize this formula. So what happened to Akiva's students during this time of the year, in a, the particular year which is unknown, sometime during the second century? It's connected with why this period is now considered a time of partial mourning and a time of self-reflection because at that time, all of Akiva's 24,000 students were killed by a plague and what the Talmud describes as a bad death. And the reason this plague occurred, according to the Talmud, because they did not treat one another with honor. It's an enigmatic phrase. Five of Akiva's students who were not killed eventually went on to become great leaders of academies and establish Judaism that we know today. We would not have the Mishnah or the Talmud, Jewish mysticism or scholarship, without the groundwork that Rabbi Akiva established. It's said by some that the plague and the enigmatic language surrounding it Excuse me, it's said by some that the plague lifted on the 33rd day of the Omer, also called Lag Ba'omer, which was earlier this week. And it marks a break or a cessation of the mourning period. But what was this awful plague? There is a clue in the enigmatic language and in the life of Rabbi Akiva. Akiva was a devout supporter of Bar Kokhba, the leader of a fervent armed rebellion against the oppressive Roman leaders. 
Hadrian, the Roman emperor, banned certain Jewish religious leaders, customs, and teachings, and punished any violators swiftly and ruthlessly. Some historians have suggested that the Talmudic plague was really a code for a massive and tragic defeat of the followers of the Bar Kokhba revolt. In answer to the defeat, the Romans only increased the oppression of the people of Judea, raising Jerusalem and replacing it with a Roman city named Aelia Capitolina, which Jews were largely forbidden from entering. They renamed Judea Syria Palestina, a name chosen to humiliate the remaining Jews by naming the land after their biblical rivals, the Philistines. Think of the famous Goliath. Rabbi Akiva must have known the odds he was facing in backing a rebellion against the mighty Rome. Perhaps he thought that God was truly on their side and would guide them to a miraculous victory. Or perhaps he knew that the battle was worth fighting even without any assurance of victory. In the end, they killed Bar Kokhba, Rabbi Akiva, and his followers, but the Romans could not defeat Judaism. We are still here, whereas the Roman gods are relegated to museums. The lifetime of work that Akiva accomplished sustained Judaism in the face of a rapidly changing world, one in which sectarianism and outside oppression threatened our very existence. He did not win the battle, but he won the struggle. And today we can view his life with a sense of, albeit tragic, victory. Well, just a couple of weeks ago, a little bit before our current counting of the Omer, we heard about a struggle of a very different kind. It was Israel's first attempt to land a spacecraft safely on the moon, and it had failed. The Bereshit lunar launcher was built at an impossibly low cost with an impossibly small team in a country that looks impossible in the eyes every day without blinking. It sought to do the impossible by landing on the face of the moon, making it the first private venture and the on only the fourth country to do so. The launch was a celebrated success and it went off without a hitch. The spacecraft entered orbit around the moon despite the incredible odds against it. In the end, a malfunction caused it to lose control as it approached the surface of the moon and it crashed, leaving just a streak of pale dust in its wake. In Israel, there were no tears, however. The team who built the rocket celebrated the success and the incredible symbolic inspiration that it provided. Already young Israelis are entering the sciences with enthusiasm and funding generated by this project. They will be the next generation of scientists who launch future missions. Bereshit 2 is already being planned. It's easy to look at impossible odds and want to give up. We all face struggles that seem insurmountable. Sometimes it's worth it to remember that some battles, whether it's the oppressive Romans landing on the moon or our day-to-day -day struggles, are worth fighting 
even if we don't end up winning. And sometimes even our setbacks can pave the way for our greatest triumphs further down the line. Shabbat Shalom.